Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. Late Wednesday night, the Tulsa World reported that State Superintendent of Public Instruction Joy Hoffmeister is running for governor of the state of Oklahoma next year and will be doing so as a Democrat. Her campaign kickoff video was published early Thursday morning, and the issue has, I think, thoroughly dominated Oklahoma's social media for the rest of this week. As the saying goes, though, opinions are like assholes, and everyone has one. That is certainly true about her announcement. We'll discuss ours, our opinions, not our assholes, in just a moment. But first, uh, I'm joined today by our usual crew, Dr. Scott Nelson. Hello, sir. What's up, dude? And Bailey Perkins Wright. Hello. Hello, listeners. Thanks for being here. I also want to give a special shout out to one of our listeners who might be our youngest listener. I think uh, Jonah, who listens to this with his mother, who's been on the show in the past. Hi, Jonah. Thanks for listening. And uh, apologies for any profanity you may hear. All right. Well, before we get into our discussion about joy, we want to highlight a few other notable events that occurred this week in Oklahoma politics and government. Uh, I'll start my first. I was reading on uh, a website for a, a public affairs software company. They they have like a bill tracking software that you can sign up, pay for. It's pretty robust. Uh, it's called Quorum. That's the name of the company. It's quorum.us in case you're interested. But they recently released a report uh, summarizing information about state legislatures during 2021, so specifically the bills, right? So they track bills across the country and they looked for trends. Uh, and there were some interesting takeaways, I thought, uh, nationally and about Oklahoma specifically. So in general, uh, the larger a state's population, the more bills that their legislature will file. Now this, I think at first makes sense. You're like, oh, more people, more bills. But why, right? Like it's really just one government. It is, it's not a huge correlation. It's like 0.42 or 0.49 so it's not it's not, not, a, not great not great but it's something uh there's certainly a few outliers that had huge populations and low bills or uh smaller bills and and or smaller populations and a lot of bills um and there's no correlation between population and the number of bills that are enacted oklahoma for example has 149 state legislators right we've got about just shy of four million people uh, and this year Legislators filed 3,057 bills, of which 582 were enacted. So that averages out for Oklahoma about 20.5 bills per legislator and 3.9 bills enacted per legislator. And that's interesting because I would say that that's actually probably misleading. Um, I shouldn't say that's misleading. That's, those are, in fact, the numbers. But I would be curious, and I don't have these sitting in front of me, you break it down by party because the Dems propose and pass. I mean, they propose a lot of bills. Very few get passed because they're such uh, minority they're party. Such minority party. Um, so it's actually probably the number of bills filed is higher. But if you looked at it, just the majority, um, I bet you'd see that it's a higher than average number of bills that are filed and passed. Right? Like that the Republicans file more per legislator, right. and more bills per legislator are enacted i would also be curious to know out of those 582 bills that are enacted how many of those are alec bills and how many of them were actually written by well and how many of the 3,000 bills were shell bills in the first place right like I mean, that inflates yeah. it a bit and certainly not every legislator even files any bills well and many bills that are passed too are from those who are in leadership so there's probably even in a higher um ratio for those who have more time in the legislature than those who may be freshmen. So that's interesting. I would think uh, across the country, some of those same things would be at play, right? So similar occurrences or skewing factors across the country. So um, that puts Oklahoma at 11th for the uh, 11th highest number of bills per legislator for what that's worth. Health and education, as, as far as issues, those were far and away the most popular topic for bills nationwide. I mean, like... Of, of, you know, 500% more uh, those than other topics. Oklahoma, and they also studied uh, social media. That's one of the other things that Quorum tracks. Oklahoma State Senator Mary Boren was the most active Oklahoma legislator on social media. She had 3,600 posts on Twitter and Facebook cumulatively, which is, if you guys were to guess, I don't think you have it open, but what do you think the, the top legislator and state legislator in the country, how many 
how many social media posts do you think they had this year? 50,000. No, that's too high, but a worthy guess. Probably about 5,000. No, higher than that. It's uh, about 20,000. Um, and But he almost exclusively did it on Twitter. He's a, uh, like a, a rabid Twitter user. I think he only had like um, I, just a few dozen, I think, Facebook posts. Um, and then the other tens of thousands were on Twitter, which makes sense. And I wonder how many were retweets and how many were threads, too, because now that Facebook, I mean, not Facebook, Twitter is allowing people to thread their posts. Um, people can find ways to write their novels in the way that they wrote novels on Facebook. So. That's right. <laughs> the, they broke it out by Twitter and Facebook and the legislator, I forget what state it was, that had the highest number of Facebook posts had like 3,000 Facebook posts. And I was like, that's a that's a lot of Facebook posts. And I wonder if they even work with somebody to make posts for them because lawmakers are busy. So, and, and Andy, you were talking about how health and education were the most popular topics um, for bills. That makes sense for Oklahoma because... A, with Medicaid expansion over the past couple of years being such um, a hot topic with us passing that ballot measure and them trying to figure out how to fund it and then the debates about whether to do managed care and all of that. Um, That makes sense that it's popular in Oklahoma, but also with education. It's really interesting how we shift it from uh, teacher salary conversations to now school choice conversations and, and what's happening in the legislature. So it'll be interesting to see going into 2022 because I'm sure education is still going to be a top issue discussed, but what element of education, you know, will be the focal point. Right. Well, and I think, you know, for 2020, right. And 2021 makes a lot of sense that those would be the highest because we're in a pandemic and schools have been majorly affected and there's like lots of nuances to that and lots of little details. Oh, yeah. And the the pandemic. I, f- I forgot about that little thing. <laughs> well, and they broke out COVID separately as well in some of the... Anyway, it's interesting. I will link to the the report if you're interested. Um, I <laughs> actually found a couple of errors on their data table and I emailed them and they were like, oh, you're right. We'll fix that and republish it. So You're a good person. I, sh- I stayed up way too late, uh, you know, emailing strangers about how their data was wrong. <laughs> That's the <laughs> kind of person I am. And another thing. Yeah. Um, also this week, uh, we had a couple of ballot measures filed. Did you guys see this? This is yesterday. Yeah. So, um, Oklahomans for responsible cannabis action. Um, I'm curious what responsible cannabis, act- cannabis action is. Uh, they filed two initiative petitions this week. Um, one would fully, re- fully legalize recreational marijuana for anyone age 21 or older. So this would include the growing, buying, transporting, preparing, and consumptious of cannabis. Um, it would also double the excise tax on marijuana sales from 7% to 15%. And those monies would be used to fund oversight of the cannabis industry. Um, it would also allow anyone serving time for a marijuana-related conviction uh, to request that that uh, conviction would be dismissed, um, which is interesting because in Oklahoma we have this thing called the single subject rule, yeah, which says that like I know, and it, it's it's questions too, right? Not just legislation. No, it's definitely questions. Yeah, so you can't you can't <laughs> you can't have you can't have something that does like multiple things, right? So a lot of times you'll hear like at the national level, there's like some must pass bill. And in order, because because all the senators and legislators know that like we have to pass the defense budget, we're also going to include some other controversial policy in there that's maybe not as policy, popular in order to get people to vote for it. So that's when you, when you do that, particularly if you do it egregiously, it's called log rolling. And in Oklahoma, that is specifically not allowed. So the question here that I have no doubt will come up on a court, assuming this come up in court, assuming that these people, um, Oklahoma's for responsible cannabis action, get their, get their signatures, um, would, would be to say, Hey, um, yeah, there's a different question, right? Legalizing cam- cannabis is a separate issue from allowing anyone who is serving time for a marijuana-related conviction to request that their conviction be overturned, that that should be two separate bills. Um, the other one would eliminate 
the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority, um, and create a standalone agency called the Oklahoma State Cannabis Commission, which would be a cabinet-level agency. They'd have a seat at the government. I don't know why I'm cracking up, but... Because it's funny. <laughs> it would also... It's bold. Uh, it would remove the cap on the number of cannabis-related business licenses and allow for home delivery of marijuana products. This seems to me like it has not one, but or not two, but, but three subjects. Um, so... Uh, yeah, lots of uh, lots of weed action. Man, how pissed would some of our friends at the legislature be who have spent like countless hours, like like building out the Oklahoma Marijuana Medical Marijuana Authority in the last two years? Man, how pissed would they be if there was a question that was just like, no, it's gone. I think that the second question that would create that has less of a chance, right? Yeah, I can see voters should they make it that far. I can see voters saying, yeah, let's legalize it. That's fine. But I, I don't think people, voters are going to approve another state agency, right? Like that's a bad talking point. And also the the fact that they uh, have, have outlined that this agency would get a cabinet, a seat in the governor's cabinet. If that passed, every special interest in town would try to get a seat with well, the pork commission, the peanut commission, right? Like everyone would want a seat on the, uh, on the governor's cabinet. And that's also, I don't know if you can even do that because isn't the cabinet like at the pleasure of the governor? It is. So it's up to the governor to decide who they want because they can create seats and do away with them. So that may be a separation of powers issue that would be unconstitutional even. So we'll see. They just filed this yesterday. There's a couple of weeks before um, challenges are due. As Scott, as you said, I expect they will receive some. And I don't know that there would be so much public support in the way that the state question is designed because in the eyes of many folks in the general public, I'm not going to say everyone, but they do see marijuana shops on every corner. And the legislature particularly definitely wouldn't want to take their hand and authority out of the amount of money that's coming in from the marijuana industry, right? And so I can definitely see um, court challenges and, and other things related to this campaign because there's already um, critiques about the design of the state question passed related to medical marijuana. And so from the way that this is written, I can see a lot of scrutiny from different points of view related to so it'll be interesting to see which entities are even behind this petition and is this written for a constitution change or a legislative change constitutional change which means they would have to you know collect upwards of two hundred thousand signatures for both and doing two questions at the same time is very difficult it can be done like 780 and 781 but it is uh quite difficult yeah for sure so um, also earlier this week, uh, Election Board Secretary Paul Zirax um, sent a letter to state lawmakers, and it's even linked on the Election Board website on the homepage. This, um, this cracked me up because this was not a like, hey, FYI, this was a strongly worded, I do not have time for this bullshit uh, letter. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. I uh, Listeners, it is, it'll be linked in the show notes, and I urge us to go to the election board website. It's right at the top. There's a big banner ad about it. Um, even there's bold print, there's bold and red and underlined <laughs> like, and it's it basically, this is uh, all in, in response to the big lie, you know, allegations by my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell. Can we, can we not even call them allegations? Can we just call them lies? lies? Yeah. 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 They're false allegations. They're lies. Um, and, yeah, he, he basically, at some symposium, said elections in Oklahoma and elsewhere were, you know, riddled with fraud. And so, you know, Paul Zirax back then was like, that's bullshit. There's no way. And then he's like, but listen, we'll do our due diligence and investigate anyway, which is the good thing to do, even if you're pissed about it. Like, you got to just... But that does, like, take money and resources <laughs> to do, so... That's exactly right. It's frustrating. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've, we've not had Paul on this show, but we've had his deputy on this show. 
Or did we have him on a couple of years ago? The one w- when we were driving around? Yeah, it, it, we were driving around election day. That was a great day. Yeah, that was in 2018. I think we had Paul on the phone, yeah. I mean, and we asked questions about, like, you know, that we said that there had been, you know, concerns of, you know, or not concerns. There had been talk of, like, you know, fraud or whatever. And he was like, he was like, I am here to let you know and your listeners know that Oklahoma's election system is one of the most secure in the country, if not the world. Right. And that is what he, that is what he uh, said in this letter. And, uh, damn damn it. I believe him. Well, I do too. He's not wrong. And he, I mean, he even referenced in the letter, like, this is not the only state to debunk the allegations from this website. For example, here's the recent news release from Idaho secretary of state. That is very similar because, uh, uh, pillow guy like has made the allegations just willy-nilly they're like well there's they found you know buckets of ballots behind the zoo and the elephants were eating them and like just like come on man that's not act that's as that is as luna as like much lunacy as well, his allegations. In, in the state of the country where this has been most uh most contentiously litigated is arizona the arizona state senate hired a firm that doesn't really exist called cyber ninjas cyber ninjas, cyber ninjas to come do a quote-unquote forensic audit to come do a forensic audit you know what i found it found that not only did joe biden win he actually won by more votes right, right? there was an error in the count but it was one not in the very, direction that people were yeah. expecting and the, and the ceo of cyber ninjas came out and said this is I'd have to go back and find the tweet and it's you know been yesterday so it'd be like a thousand tweets to go through but he essentially said (laughs) he said uh, he said the principal finding of the audit is that the results of the audited hand recount closely match the election day tally in favor of Joe Biden and he goes this finding is understandably frustrating to some and it's like what it's 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 frustrating that the count was accurate right right like Come on, like that. The that, will of the people. Yeah, like it gives up the game, right? Like the point was not to find voter fraud. The point was to try and find some way to say that Joe Biden won, and you or the, to say that Donald Trump won, and you can't you can't accurately count the ballots and do that, right? You have to come up with some creative way to disqualify ballots or or whatever. Um, so many many thanks to Paul Zirax for uh, for not entertaining that nonsense here. I mean, I have to say there have been some legislators um who have called for similar audits of oklahoma's election system um my thanks to the leadership of the senate and the house for also not entertaining that nonsense you know it's uh almost going into 2022 and two conversations sadly just won't go away one uh election hacking and you know questioning our the integrity of our election system and build the wall those two things just don't seem like they're going away anytime that's, soon. That's true. This week, both our governor and uh, and Congresswoman Stephanie Bice down there at the Texas border. Also, who it was the guy from Idaho. It was yeah. the Idaho governor, right? Yeah. yeah. So the gov- <laughs> the governor of the, so the governor of Idaho goes down to the border uh, to inspect the border with Mexico, as is obviously pertinent to the office of the governorship of Idaho. Um, and while he was gone, apparently Idaho, similar to Oklahoma, has a law that says if the governor is outside state lines, the lieutenant governor assumes all the powers of the governor. This is really just supposed to be for like emergencies. Hell no! The he Idaho took advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, dude. The, the Idaho lieutenant governor was like, uh, "Well, while he's gone, I'm gonna go ahead and order the national guard to the border." Uh, and then what else did what else did she do? Oh, it was several things. I mean, like some crazy stuff that the governor had to release a statement and be like, "She is not acting with the proper authority. I'm going to undo these things as soon as I get back from my uh, press trip to to the border." It's um. It, I think it's interesting, and this actually is a good segue into our conversation because... Lieutenant Governor Pinnell, friend of the show, if you're listening, thank you for not behaving like that. Well, and that's also why I think voters need to know who they're electing for Lieutenant Governor, right? Absolutely. Because you, you don't want this to happen. Because it's not like the federal level where the vice president and the president are running as a pair. Yeah. You can elect two completely different people as your governor and your lieutenant governor. And so you're right, Andy, it's so important that people pay attention to every single position that they have the ability to vote on. Yeah. So in Idaho, the the governor, this Republican speaker of the House, these are all Republicans, the Republican speaker of the House um, and uh, uh, 
chief justice um, and uh, former attorney general and former chief justice of the state Supreme Court, also Republican, everyone is saying, you, we've got to rescue our party from the extremists, right? And it is really interesting to see Republicans around the country. I mean, Idaho is not known as being a bastion of liberalism up there, right? Um, but about folks being like, hang on, you've gone too far. You... You can't be calling for audits of our election system. You are you are discounting what we do really well. You can't be ordering troops to go to the border of a state that's three states away, right? Like you don't have this. We gotta we gotta just chill the f out and like return to our you know cut taxes and and freedom roots here. <laughs> so on that note, that's, I was gonna say Bailey, you mentioned twenty twenty two. Some the news of the day, major 2022 uh, news. The state superintendent of higher education, Joy Hoffmeister, has announced that she is running for governor. There had been a lot of speculation that she was going to run for governor, that she might challenge Kevin Stitt. Um, however, big, big uh, asterisk. She is doing this as a Democrat. She is changing her party affiliation and running in the Democratic primary instead of the Republican primary. Uh, there have been a lot of reactions. There is a lot. Lots of people have lots of thoughts. Um, so what? Uh, ba- what are our thoughts, Bailey? What are your thoughts? <laughs> You're gonna have me start. <laughs> um, it's an interesting strategy, right? I don't know. what the basis was of who decided this approach. Like were there party officials involved? Were there just establishment elites? Is there a, um, what is the group called? The Lincoln, um, Lincoln project, the Lincoln project esque group of Republicans in Oklahoma that are pushing for some type of effort like this. But, um, It'll be interesting to to see how it plays out. I mean, one question I do have is that there was another person on the ballot, right? And so still is, uh, and there's well, absolutely. So <laughs> I mean, but just the fact that that uh, candidate, uh, former Senator Connie Johnson, has kind of been disregarding the conversation feels kind of strange, and some people feel like she was slighted in this, especially in the way that. Uh, Democrats have quickly embraced and put out press releases and all this kinds of stuff, welcoming State Superintendent Hoffmeister, but not acknowledging in a um, upfront way uh, the candidate who already announced and was running in that. And so I, I have heard that feedback as well as a response to um, the announcement. Um, but her decision to not only run, but run as a Democrat gives her space to fundraise, right? It gives her space to um, build a campaign because I think there's, what, two or three people running in the Republican primary. So it wouldn't have made sense for her to run in the Republican primary because, A, she would have a shorter window of time. um, But secondly, there's so many factions. So, Andy, you were just talking about um, the divides within the Republican Party between, like, the far rights and the moderates and and other um, factions within that, uh, it would have been difficult for her to have had an opportunity to um, come to victory. And so I think there's a lot of people who have all kinds of views about Governor Stitt, right? And so this is an opportunity for her, if she's able to do the strategy right and able to get different groups who may have that frustration mobilized that there could be a shot. Who knows? Yeah. So I think this, I think her announcement highlights the divisions, not only in the Republican party, but within the democratic party as well. Right. As both parties to some degree, uh, wrestle with, with identity and, and the, you know, I will say the, the liberal and the conservative components therein, right? Like both parties have a, the Democratic Party is a big tent party. And so that's been an interesting dialogue that I've heard as well is, you know, I wish they would support a real Democrat in air quotes. But what does it mean to be a Democrat and what does it mean to be a Democrat in Oklahoma, especially because there's such a wide range of thoughts and philosophies even within 
the party. And so this is an interesting dynamic too. That's right. So let's uh, maybe let's break this down and we'll kind of go through why she's running, like why not as a Republican and why not as an independent. And within that, I'm sure we'll discuss why. So we're getting back to the, the theory of the case for why she's running as a Democrat. So um, I'll, I'll start with why not a Republican uh, because what you said, Bailey, there's already, uh, I can think of two candidates, right? There's Governor Stitt, who's running as the incumbent for re-election, which is in, inordinately difficult to overcome. Just incumbency is powerful. He is also being primaried from the right by Jackson Lehmeyer. Is that his name? No, that's at La- that's Langford. That's Langford's. Who's the guy running for governor? Somebody, Somebody else. Who okay, does someone? I couldn't <laughs> find it quick enough. Yeah. Irvin Yens, former Senator Irvin Yens, still on the ticket. Yep. So I was going to say, he's got, so Stitt's got opponents from the right and from the left of where he sits, perhaps, right? Uh, Yeah. Former Senator Irvin Yen, who is just really upset, I think, about the governor's response to COVID. And uh, And, and he's upset with the governor's response to COVID. He's upset with the governor's stance on vaccines. mm -hmm. Um, I think he also just doesn't like him. (laughs) Um, I think he, I think he's, uh, I think, I think Senator Yen is. I haven't talked to him about this, but I would. I, I think he's probably a pretty big uh, anti-managed um, care, uh, like for sooner care, um, and some of the other changes that the governor wants to make the healthcare authority. So I, I think there's any number of reasons Senator slash Doctor Yin um, is not a fan of Governor Stitt. The other person who declared was Mark Sherwood, who oh, is Sherwood. a naturopathic doctor. Oh, yeah, that's that right. Guy. He's, he's real... the guy who's. Yeah. Further to the right, yeah, uh, he's a real, real muscly guy, um, very intense, intense fella. Uh, so you can see in there, you've got you've got candidates, um, right, far right, and a little bit towards the middle of right. <laughs> um, so there's not really, if you tried to think about where Secretary Hoffmeister, Superintendent Hoffmeister, is now, right? Like she is, I think, in the eyes of many Oklahomans. A, a relatively moderate Republican. Now that may be because we don't know a lot about her policies on things besides education, right? But I think she comes across as being affable and all this stuff, right? And she's been supportive of the teacher walkout. Like she was up there walking around, meeting with people and doing things that is she's not had to have as political of a position as like most politicians we know. I think she's playing the, I would call the Joe Biden strategy, right? Um, she's positioning You're gonna sink herself. her campaign, Bailey. <laughs> huh? You're gonna sink her campaign. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it feels um, very like she's playing to the middle. She's using terms like you know common sense. Um, even in her time as you know state superintendent of public instruction, you mentioned things about supporting the teacher walkout, supporting um, increases in in teacher pay, protecting public schools, um, even like the audits going into to Epic and in other things, right? Um, but even in her, her campaign ad, she was talking about um, infrastructure and the need of broadband. Uh, she was talking about the need to focus on the health of Oklahomans, right? And so she's trying to stick to those issues that have um, broader support from the moderates and then the people who are, you know, center left, and then trying to probably catch those independents because there are a whole lot of independent voters in Oklahoma who have never felt like they fit on the right or the left. And so her approach seems to try to be a catch-all that others can either gravitate to to feel like she's more fresh air than what has been experienced or to be the candidate that's not stiff. Right. right? So I, I don't think, I think the, you know, the consensus is there's no way she could run and win or to be, very unlikely she could beat Stitt in the primary because primaries tend to bring out the most fervent of the base. And so she would have to somehow appeal to them more than he did. It's not impossible, but still difficult. 
Well, I mean, yes. So I mean, I think the, sh- the short answer is she's running as a Democrat because she can't win a Republican primary. And I think there's several reasons to think that. One, I would assume because it seems like she's running a professional operation here. I assume they have polling that shows that they wouldn't beat Stitt in a, in a Republican primary, number one. Number two, anecdotally, look at what happened in the most recent Republican primary we had in a high-profile race here in this part of the state. This is the CD5 congressional primary between Stephanie Bice and Terry Neese. Stephanie, Stephanie Bice, who ran um whose 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 reputation as a state legislator was as a moderate she got in the primary and ran pretty hard to the right i mean like full-throated trumpy in the primary and still had to go to a runoff to just barely beat terry niece who was badly hurt by some late-breaking damaging news about her past that came out so she went full trump and niece got hurt at the end and we're talking about CD5, which is mostly Oklahoma County, which is the most moderately Republican place in the country. And Stephanie Bice still only barely beat her. So if you take that and you look at the rest of the state, like she wasn't going to run as anything towards the center and win in the Republican primary. Scott, the- and you raise a great point related to that because we see glimpses of that from the U.S. Senate race with Senator Lankford. Like Senator Langford has had to move further to the right than anything we've seen in his time. I would say, frankly, from Congress, even to him taking the position of U.S. Senator because of how um, ultra conservative the people who are running against him are. Right. And, and the other thing that's important to note here is that there's there are two one. Well, there are multiple important differences between the Republican and Democratic primaries, but one huge one is that only Republicans can vote in the Republican primary, right? Registered Democrats, registered independents can vote in the Democratic primary, right? So there's a bigger pool of people that you can try to get to vote for you in the Democratic primary than you can in the Republican primary, right? Um, and so, so that's an important consideration here. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people on Twitter yesterday were like saying the quiet part out loud of like, "Well, she's mom, she's she's changing parties because she can't win as a Republican. She's running as a Democrat because she can't win as a Republican," and 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 it's like, yes, that's true, but also, I mean, just again, kind of looking at this like from the outside looking in, I mean, the point of running for office is to win. So like, I mean, I. I don't really fault her if she thinks that her best strategy to become governor is to but change parties and run as a Democrat. A Republican, well, right? so this so this is the thing, right? Because the easy answer, the obvious answer, and I think the true answer is that she's running as a Dem because she can't win as an R. I think it. I think a reasonable question that we have to ask, and that she will be asked over and over again in multiple forums, hopefully including here on this show, is. You know, what does it mean to be a Republican and what does it mean to be a Democrat, right? Like, is this com- is this solely electoral or are there fundamental values, principles, and policies that are at play here that are also driving this, right? Is it that is it that I'm still who I am, but the Republican Party has, like, left me behind? Because I know a lot of Republicans who say that. I know a lot of Democrats who are now Republicans that say that about the Democratic Party, right? Including her former opponent, right? Um, who was, ran against her as a Democrat when she was running for superintendent. She was a Republican. He was a Democrat. They have both switched parties now. She's running for governor. And he's running again for superintendent. No one's talking about that. Right. And I and I assume I assume that in addition to having, you know, so I think one, she's not going to win the Republican primary. Two, this, you know, so that offers, this offers her her best course. I assume she also has polling that she can win a Democratic primary, and I assume she also has polling that when you pull the entire electorate, she, you pull the entire electorate, <laughs> you pull the entire electorate. That when you pull a representative sample of all voters, I assume she's got polling, um, hopefully some pretty good polling showing that she's got a path to victory there as well. So that's both why not as a Republican and why as a Democrat. However, she is going to have to answer questions, right? Like, you know, I think especially to especially to the very um you know, I think in Oklahoma it's relatively small but very active a kind of progressive wing of the party, right? Like 
what does it mean to you to be a Democrat, right? Where are you on choice, right? Where are you on, uh, you know, this this bill, the running over protesters bill? Is that a bill that you would have signed if you or were the, the governor's race theory stuff, right? right? Where are you on CRT? Do you like? Can you explain what it is and how it's not really a thing that matters for K twelve education? Like, where are you? You know, I. <laughs> I mean, I assume I assume she's going to get asked, where are you on things like death penalty commutations, like the case of Julius Jones? Like, she's going to have to answer these questions because... Where are you at on choice? Because right. especially with so much moving, like in the state of Texas and right. other places related to those issues, you're right. Like, there's going to be a lot of tough questions like, and for her. And she's going to have to have good answers. And the, the key is, you know, I was just before we got on the show, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys... Uh, I don't know if you guys start your Friday mornings looking at voter registration statistics in Oklahoma, but uh, that's what uh, that's what you know real political hacks do, right? Um, Nerd, not really. Right? Nerd. If you look at the September 2021 voter registration statistics, as of last month in Oklahoma, we have one million one hundred twelve thousand and change registered Republicans. We have six hundred ninety eight thousand registered uh, Democrats. Drop below seven hundred, huh? It's a huge registration advantage for ours. Now, not all those people are going to vote, right? But not only does she have to get out of the Democratic primary, she has to get out of the Democratic primary while also making sure that a lot of the Republicans who voted for her the first time are going to come home and vote for her the second time. Right. Because what we haven't talked about yet on the show is that the last time, the only time, Kevin Stitt and Joy Hoffmeister were on the same ballot, she got 40,000 more votes-ish, 43,000, I think. She got 43,000 more votes than he did. So there's a bunch of people who voted for her and didn't vote for him. Which is unusual because the governor on 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 the gubernatorial election years is the top ballot, top ticket race and usually you have a, a roll off right a decrease the number of people who cast votes the further down the ballot you get and so yeah those, but i think there's executive- also some contextual things too with that because i think those were also votes to get her predecessor out yeah right well not last time though was it the, the in time where those two were on the ballot. Well, in 2018, her first time on the ballot was 2014. Oh, okay, okay. Right. So that's the that's and the that was to get is that Barisi to get uh-huh. Barisi out. Yeah. yeah, no one liked her. Uh, well, not enough people liked her, right? Sure. And then, yeah, in 20, 2018, Joy came and did the uh, she did the election night show. She did the she top was great. ten. List. She did the top ten. Like was like a Leno situation. <laughs> I she forgot was, about that. She was a natural. Well, and there's one point that I want to lift before we we move on because you mentioned it, Scott, um, related to the Democratic primary we can't treat it as if it's just going to be a drop in the bucket right Right. because it is going to be tough because she's going to have to prove to a lot of folks of why are you deserving of a democrat's vote especially when you're running against someone like connie johnson who's been firm on her stances and beliefs every time she's run right and so it's not gonna just be you know a blowout it, it could be tough especially if the progressive wing activates yeah i was gonna say the exact same thing we talked about that she would she was unlikely to be we'll say republican enough to win the republican primary and and so it is not a foregone conclusion that she would be democratic enough to win the democratic primary and so then people would ask well why didn't she run as an independent and that's because the independent has no primary you're automatically on the general election but you you lose the uh structural advantage that is given to both parties by straight ticket voting and by party allegiance right it is exceedingly difficult for an independent to win any race in oklahoma especially a statewide race i think she would have the best chance because she has the name recognition but there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot and of resources, folks. resources, right? For people to knock doors and yeah, parties right. to no be No party infrastructure. Yep. And, yep. You know? There's, yeah, there's going to be there. I mean, here, yeah. So, so yes, it is not at all a foregone conclusion that she wins the Democratic primary. I think she will, and I think she should be favored to win it at the outset. She's going to have advantage in name recognition, an, an advantage in organization, and an advantage in money, which is maybe the most important thing. She's also going to have, there are, and this is this pisses off the progressives, I'm not commenting whether it's good or bad, I'm just saying, there are a lot of the quote-unquote like Democratic elites who are excited to see Joy Hoffmeister in the race because they think she can win and they don't think Senator Johnson can, right? Like, that's just, that is the fact of the matter. And I think you know, the question in the primary is going to be how many of those people 
feel strongly enough about it to show up and vote in the primary, right? If the if I think if the primary is a race about who's the most progressive Democrat, then it's real tough for Joy. If the primary is a race about who do we think can win the general election and be the governor of Oklahoma, then it's 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 I'm not going to say it's a drop in the bucket, but it's it's a much more competitive race. Well, that's the answer to it's, the it's question, much, it's right? Much better. It's a much but better. But is that how voters it. show up to the polls, though? Especially when you're looking at the makeup of Democratic voters, there was a lot of frustration after the Democratic primary, uh, particularly Bernie voters, right? Because there was a significant number of Bernie voters who showed up from Oklahoma in that election cycle. And then when Bernie didn't advance, a lot of them said, I'm, I'm taking my bucket. I'm sitting back. Right. right. Yeah. Cause Bernie so, won Oklahoma in 2016 uh, in 16, but he Biden won Oklahoma in 20 in, in this time by, by quite a lot. And the last time Connie Johnson, Senator Johnson, the last time she was on the ballot of the democratic primary in 2018. So it was her and uh, drew Edmondson. She got 38% of the vote. Against so against Drew, Drew yeah. won sixty two thirty eight. So the last time she, I mean, so it wasn't particularly close. Now, Edmondson obviously lifelong Democrat, so that's a huge, that's a huge, that's a huge difference. Lifelong Democrat, former state attorney general, but also someone with statewide name recognition, also someone with who has previously won statewide elected office and senator Johnson didn't you know shouldn't fare that well and this was this was between obviously between 16 and 20 um i you know i senator johnson is definitely the most of of edmondson and johnson she's definitely the more progressive candidate um but i think the democratic party has even changed a lot in in the last two years uh or the last the last uh four years since 2018 so um and i will i also want to throw out a name we haven't discussed or I haven't seen discussed recently in this the Tiger King. discourse. The Tiger King. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> somebody just did a tattoo of him the other day. I think it was Viking Ashley at uh, uh, at Keepsake Tattoo just did a, a... Someone wanted a Tiger King tattoo. Good for them. No, Mick Cornette, right? Former mayor of Oklahoma City, longtime mayor, mayor of Oklahoma City, who was widely viewed as a very uh, reasonable Republican, and he ran for governor four years ago. And bullshit. Yeah, really tried some late attacks that uh, many of us thought were humorous. Um, my grandma did not, and apparently a lot of other older voters did not. Uh, and so Mayor Mick in that race had to run and become more conservative and like be more Trumpy-ish. I guess that was still the term back then, um, and did not win. Right, and so I think. But he it, also had the city factor, and that's that true. does not resonate with a lot of rural voters. Can we can we talk about uh, Joy's launch video, her ad? Like, because I I wish I I could have made a rubric to score it on. Like, here is the ten things you need to have in a campaign ad, and she had like it's like farmland, um, pothole. Yeah, she talked about education, healthcare, infrastructure. Like, those bit, well, she tried bit. to be relatable <laughs> to the regular person, especially the stats that she gave about how many cars she's gone through and and parts that have broken down because she spent so much time on the roads that like it was a indicate it reminded me a lot of Todd Lamb's 77 for 77 because he one of his shining talking points when he ran for governor was I've been to all 77 counties a few times, right? And so that gave me a sense of not only am I trying to connect to feel like the average Oklahoman, but I've been on your doorsteps and I got four kids and all my kids live here too, right? And so I feel like she was really trying to um, be relatable. And she did the interview with the Tulsa world, not with the Oklahoman. That was I assume strategic, right? Like that's because that's Stitt's home turf and you've got to kind of hit from there. Also, that was a tremendous interview that just aired like a free commercial. Like it was well done. Um, I'm sure it's beneficial to the world as well, but it was a real interesting. Also, they hate Stitt. The Tulsa world. They've been pretty frustrated, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, Tulsa public schools, right? Like has been pretty uh, at odds with the governor. And so for her to kind of, it's just like those little things that, that are like a gentle nod that pick up, you know, 50 or 200 voters here and 50 or 200 voters there that maybe people take notice. Now, we got a long 
a long road to the election. Yeah, and I, and I think it's safe to say that there's just so many factors at play to A, whether Senator Johnson or Superintendent Hoffmeister, you know, will be successful in this primary. But if Superintendent Hoffmeister makes it through the primary, it's also going to factor in of her ability to mobilize these different factions. Can she mobilize in rural Oklahoma? Can she mobilize uh, the teachers from across the state? Uh, Can she mobilize tribal citizens who participate in Oklahoma's election cycle? Can she mobilize black and brown communities, right? Because at the end of the day, all of those things will have to be at play in order to get to the finish line. And and if it's Senator Johnson, she's going to have the same requirements in order to, to, to beat the incumbent Governor Stitt. Because we've talked about it on the pod. There's been a lot of things over time where he's gotten into tits with different groups, right? Um, and so it's going to, can he, can, Senator Johnson appeal to, to rural Oklahoma. Can Senator Johnson mobilize teachers, black and brown communities? Can she mobilize uh, tribal nations to really get out there enough to to overturn this election? And so all of those things will be interesting to watch over the next year. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, when you start really thinking about the theory of the case for any of these candidates, right, running against the incumbent, we kind of know what Stitt's theory of the case is, um, but for uh, for Hoffmeister, for Senator Johnson, for um, Senator Yen, for the other guy, um, I mean, all of them, you have to kind of think about how do they build the biggest coalition possible? Because now I think the the general election, um, it, as we we've got three on one side, two on the other, there's a libertarian candidate natalie bruno right like there's there's Ugh, of course there is i know scott's not a not a fan of libertarians but uh, and it's still early we may still see other candidates announce um that could broaden the field and divide votes and and i personally love a race that gives me some indigestion about who i want to support the most and i wish we had an electoral system that allowed me to rank my candidates well, but we you don't. know i mean i just you know it is it is interesting i think that the thing that not not the only thing, but just one thing that I've just been thinking a lot, you know, uh, watching the watching the Twitter. I did a lot of Twitter stalking yesterday. I didn't say very much, um, um, but you know, people are saying, "Well, what does she think she's doing? This doesn't make any sense." Yada yada yada. Look, I mean, I don't I don't know Joy personally. We've we've chatted a handful of times, but like, um, she's uh, she's sharp. She's she's pretty sharp. She's a, a very smart person. Um, this is not her first foray into statewide politics. And also, a um, lot of respect for people who run like local, uh, run in local school board races or whatever. But running for governor um, is not like running for school board, right? This is not a decision that you undertake lightly. This is a major undertaking. This upends your life, your whole family's life. Um, and I'm not saying she's going to win. Um, I'm, I'm not saying. I don't know what's going to happen. I think I think she I think she has an uphill battle. She would have had an uphill battle in the Republican primary. She's got an uphill battle now. Because it's easy to talk just about education, but now when you have to talk about all the things and have good strong answers that really convince people to turn out, that's a little bit more difficult. But and I, and I also know that there's everybody's like, well, the polls are wrong. The polls are not always wrong. The polls are the polls are still pretty accurate. And I'm just telling you, she wouldn't be running if she didn't have polling showing that there was a path to victory. Speaking of polling, while we sit here recording, Amber Integrated has released newest polling data. Intriguing. And it this is like the second episode in a row or third that we've had breaking, breaking news. news. Um, so I, I don't see anything about her yet because obviously this poll was conducted before she announced, although they could have polled it anyway. But um, on this poll, Governor Stitt's approval rating had declined from 59% in June to just 50% in October, with 38% now disapproving. So that's a net 12 positive, right? Yeah. Um, but that means a bunch of people didn't have an opinion. That's true. Yeah. 
Right. And then um, that's net. That's total approve and disapprove, or that's just like strongly or whatever. Uh, I'm just looking at the top line. I'll look in the cross tabs later. I'm sure we'll dive into this. Langford also up uh, pretty heavily over uh, uh, Lamar. Pa- Pastor Lamar. Yeah, and Senator Dom for that. Um, 62% of Republicans. I about that guy. Say that. I thought we were going to go a whole episode and not talk about Nathan Dom. We're not talking about him. We're just saying he's uh, only got 3%. <laughs> well, that's really bad. Um, interesting. So we'll dive into this. Maybe we can talk about polling next week on our next episode. All right. Well, uh, you guys, this has been a good episode. I'm sure we will uh, stop hit the stop button and then still keep talking about it listeners if you'd like to join the conversation please follow us on twitter at let's fix this okay uh, i'm excited y'all I'm i can excited. tell i'm excited no because this is like something i mean it's just nice one i mean you guys know i love election season but it's also it's just nice like to not to have I, that we're gonna have something I, I think to talk about other than just like feeling it's gonna be a blowout. All right, what yeah. what what bullshit did they do this week? Yeah. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll still have that conversation, but yeah, it is fun. I think election seasons are really when we hit our stride on the show, and hopefully over time we'll be able to talk about people who are running for other offices that are available. So that'll make the mix even more interesting beyond just the governor and the U.S. Senate race. In 2018, we interviewed. I think every candidate for the statewide elected offices. Um, uh, we did not interview Kevin Stitt. That's right. I think we got except for the governor. Yeah, I think we got everybody but him. And we helped host all those uh, debates. That was fun. All right. Um, the governor has an open invite to come on the show. By the way. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right, Scott. Thanks for being here. Would miss it. Bailey, thanks for being here. Thank you, Andy. Listeners, thank you for being here as well. Um, please uh, rate and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. That really means a lot to us. That, same, that sounds silly, but it's true. Um, please also tell a friend uh, who's interested in this. Maybe they've seen the news about Joy and they want to hear um, some folks debate it on a podcast. For whatever reason, we could be that podcast. Uh, and uh, enjoy the cooler weather. Start uh, preparing for spooky season. And remember that decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week.